Chef, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and sorry the uh, the show was delayed a day again. I promise next week I will get back on schedule. I will I will record. I am promising you right now. I will make it a point to record next Monday. This week, it was uh, not because of any holiday-related sleep schedule shenanigans. It was because I got fooled by a fake job interview and drove 40 minutes one way. So I had to drive another 40 minutes home for a job interview that didn't exist. So uh, listen to all you kids out there. If you get a prospect for a job interview and they don't give you a contact number, they don't tell you the name of the person you're interviewing with, and a Google search brings you no results for this store's particular location, it's probably not real. And it is at the time of recording, it has been about 25 and a half hours since that interview is supposed to happen, and I have still not heard a word. So I'm guessing it was fake, and I just wasted my time. So blame those guys who lied to me for the show getting delayed today. Oh my god. But that's all beside the point, because we had an awesome weekend of stuff to talk about, even if... Gonzaga Baylor got canceled, and Gonzaga has hand- had to cancel a few more games since then. Both Mark Few and Scott Drew, I hate that their names rhyme, but whatever, are committed to playing that game at some point this season, and thank God, because those two, those two teams are going to be top three all season. Like, unless an absolute disaster happens to either one of them, and given the current state of both those two teams as well as the West Coast Conference and the Big 12. Like, I don't think all that much is going to happen because, like, Baylor's biggest challenge in the Big 12 is going to be Texas and West Virginia. Gonzaga is not going to have a challenge anywhere near that level in the West Coast Conference. And even if Baylor does lose to Texas, West Virginia, or both, they're not going to drop that far. Because Texas and West Virginia are both very good this year. But we'll we'll get into that when we talk uh, talk more college basketball. That's that second segment, don't you worry. But the big the big thing, at least in my eyes, that happened over the weekend was Valorant first strike. And I only was really plugged into the North American tournament, but I was I was watching uh, the Europe tournament here and there. And the Europe tournament also looked like it was a whole lot of fun. And, I mean, you had the big surprise of the fact that G2 didn't win. And not only did G2 not win, they didn't make the final. They finished third, fourth with FPX. Them and FPX both lost in the semis to teams they really should have beaten. Yeah, excuse me. But, gee, like, if we're being honest here, like, Liquid probably should have beaten Heretics in the quarterfinals. They didn't. G2 probably should have beaten Heretics in the semis in the unlikely event that Heretics beat Liquid. And then Heretics won the whole freaking thing! Are they... 
Are they even an org? Okay, they are an org. They're they're just based in Spain, so I haven't I don't know that much about them. And they're only in they're in COD, Clash Royale, CSGO, Rainbow Six, and Fortnite. Those are games other than COD. I don't really follow all that closely. So that is no surprise. I have uh, never heard of them. But hey, these guys, these guys are good. Because I know for a fact, G2 and Liquid are both really good. FPX, really good. So if the results of this European tournament are anything to go by, and good lord, the... The variety in countries represented in Europe compared to North America. Like, there are 17 countries represented in in uh, First Strike EU. In First Strike NA, how many? I think it was four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were there were 30, there were 40 people in uh in the tournament. Five people for all all eight teams. 31 of them from the U.S., 7 from Canada. So really, it was only two countries because Gangsta's Mongolian and Spider's Korean. Like, those guys are the two outliers. <laughs> that That's actually really funny. But I want to actually talk about the North American tournament because the North American tournament was freaking awesome. Like, CS purists, like... I know your game has been around forever. Like Counter-Strike is what? Over 20 years old? Like count the original Counter-Strike. When did... I feel like the original Counter-Strike came out in what? 98? 1999. The series began on Windows in 1999 with the release of the first game Counter-Strike. CSGO came out in August of 2012. So, uh, this game has been around for a very long time, and I know you are the premier tactical FPS esports, and I I respect what Counter-Strike has done for the esports scene as a whole. But CS Purist, you can never tell me Valorant is boring ever again. Because, A, have you watched your game? Your game is slower. CS is slower than Valorant. I don't care what anyone says. And you have to go more rounds. CS matches are played best of 30. You have more maps, sure. You don't have abilities, what do you freaking do? You have utility. Oh, the op's so overpowered because they didn't give anyone... They didn't give anyone a chance to counter ops because there aren't enough smokes. Half the characters in the game have flashes! <laughs> or some variant of a flash. Or, like, vision-restricting ability. You have Reina's Lear... You have Breach's Flash. You have Phoenix's Flash. You have Omen's Paranoia, who also has smokes. You have Sky's Flash, which is just insanely powerful. And you also have Jet Smokes, Omen Smokes, Brimstone Smokes, Sage Walls. Um, need I go on? Heck, Breach Stuns. Uh, Sky Stuns. Hmm. I, I think you have enough to counter an op if you know what you're doing. So, yeah. I, I don't care what CS Purists say anymore. You're wrong. Valorant is more interesting. At least to me. And based on the viewership the game has been getting, a lot of other people agree. Oh, like, sure. The 
Like, the tournaments are major draws. On the main channel, on the main Valorant Esports NA feed, there were 77,000 viewers. And Ninja and Myth co-streaming the thing both had five figures each. So that's a lot of eyeballs. I know there was probably some some co- some multiple watchers going on. Like people were watching multiple different feeds. But still, that all counts as viewers for Valorant. And that's a lot. So CS purists, I don't want to hear you say that Valorant is boring ever again because you're just flat out wrong. Or... You're not wrong because it's an opinion and it's subjective, but you are in the minority because plenty of people agree that Valorant is not boring. Yeah, the first two, the first two semis weren't great. Like, but did you really expect Team Envy versus Immortals and Renegades versus TSM to be a barn burner? Like... Those are both two massive underdogs going up against two of the best teams in North America. And despite the fact that they were 2 O's, 100 Thieves versus T1 was highly entertaining, and Sentinels versus FaZe was highly entertaining. 100 Thieves versus Sentinels was incredible. 100 Thieves versus Sentinels is, is some of the best... Up until the final series, is like one of the best Valorant series I've ever seen. Because 100 Thieves versus Sentinels was super interesting because 100 Thieves was trying to prove a point that them beating Sentinels in the NSG, or them beating Sentinels and TSM, really, them beating Sentinels in the NSG qualifier to get their spot in first strike was not a fluke. Well, they had already both gotten, they beat TSM to get the spot, not uh, not Sentinels, but they beat TSM and Sentinels. Them beating Sentinels in the NSG qualifier wasn't a fluke. And the battle of contrasting styles. Like, 100 Thieves plays Valorant way more like CS. They they play it, they don't play it like CS because if you play it completely like CS, you can't win. You, you don't win that way if you play it too much like CS. You have to f- find a balance. But they definitely lean more on the tax shooter elements of the game. Sentinels, just based on the fact that they're being led by Sinatra relies more on the hero shooter aspects of the game because Sinatra is one of the best Overwatch players of all time. Like, if... That's the thing. If Sinatra went back to Overwatch tomorrow, he would be the best Overwatch player in the world. It would take him a little bit of time to readjust, but if he went back to Overwatch tomorrow, he would be the best Overwatch player in the world again. Right now, that title belongs either to either Carpe or Fleta, but if Sinatra went back... He would be the best in the world. And he's one of the best Valorant players in the world. But it wasn't good enough to beat 100 Thieves because they were determined to prove that they belong. And that series wound up being really good. And then the series with TSM in the finals. Good God, that was incredible. Because... One, 100 Thieves was heavily motivated because after they beat Envy, Hayes just straight up said on stream in his interview with uh, Smix. Smix is her name, right? Yeah, Smix is her name. She was great, by the way. She was an awesome interview. The the as as a broadcaster myself, I have to give a shout out to all of the all of the broadcast talent. DDK, Golden Boy, Rivington, 
Sean Gares, Vansily Veli, Smix, Jordan Fisher. Heck, Jordan Fisher was awesome on the analyst desk. And it is unfair how multi-talented that man is. Because he's not pro-level by any means, but he's good at Valorant. He can dance, he can sing, he can act, and he was really good at the analyst desk. That man is a five-tool talent. It's not fair. <laughs> but the broadcast talent, got to give a shout-out to them because they were all really, really good. Like, Golden Boy and Rivington especially, they are becoming one of my favorite... They are becoming one of my favorite casting duos in all of esports. They are really good together. And Rev's just great because he's really good on he's really good on League of Legends too. But this was this was a really good tournament. And the, the final between Hundred Thieves and TSM was so good. Like the first map went to overtime. After 100 Thieves was down big. Like, they were down 4-1. And sure, Split is super D-sided. Like, Split is so defender-sided. And if you attack first, you're you're willingly putting yourself in a hole if you choose to attack first. Which 100 Thieves did. Because TSM picked the map. But they still... After... After they stalled just enough to not allow TSM to defuse, they... Went on a big swing. They were only down 7-5 at the half. They ended up forcing OT. And and then the first OT went went back-to-back. Defender won both, which is kind of par for the course on split because that map kind of sucks. It has gotten better. It has gotten better since they moved since they adjusted the position of the initial barriers. But that map is still not one of my favorites. And I don't hate Icebox. I really don't. I don't hate Icebox. I think I think it's got an interesting map gimmick. But when you win, if you attack first in overtime on split, which 100 Thieves did in the second OT, and you win that, you're in a very good position to win the thing because you, to win the map because now you have defender side and you're golden because the map favors you. The The layout of the map literally gives you an advantage. And Valorant is kind of defender-sided anyway, just by its own game design, even on maps that would generally favor the offense, a.k.a. Haven, or more balanced maps like Bind. But they, they came out and they won the first map, and then on Bind, that was just a steamroll. Like, that was... <laughs> That was a pure steamroll on Bind. Like, sure, it was it was 13-11. Like it it was a little closer than it than it needed to be. But if you go back and you actually like watch what happened on Bind, Hundred Thieves was clearly the better team. Like Hundred Thieves was was one hundred percent the the better team. On bind. And TSM was clearly the better team on Ascent, which is a surprise, because Hundred Thieves has been really good on Ascent recently, especially since the uh the roster changes. Where they dropped the PUBG guys and brought in Steel Nitro, Dicey, and Asuna, which turned out to be a genius move because they won the freaking thing. And then on Haven, like on Haven, that was all Hundred Thieves. Like I gave Asuna crap, and he made some freakish plays. 
Like he made some freakish plays in the clutch in in the later rounds of uh of that match on Haven. Like good lord. Like dude went dude went nuts in in some of the like I don't remember what round it was, but he had a couple he had a couple double kills with Phoenix in in multiple different rounds that that like saved the round for 100 thieves. And Dicey Dicey didn't have the best game, but he would come up clutch when he needed to. Like Dicey and that's the thing. When when Dicey gets more experience, I think he's going to be equal to or better than Wardell. Like when Dicey gets more big tournament experience, he will be Wardell's equal. Which is a scary thought. Because 100 Thieves just won Valorant's first major. So... They're one of their one of their younger players who was not the best player on the team in this tournament has the potential to be Wardell's equal. And I know that may sound like me being a homer, but I honestly 100% believe that to be true. Dicey has the potential to be Wardell's equal. Equal and Austin is a freak too, and I, I'm like Big Daddy Hiko, Captain Clutch. Like we know he's good, and and Valorant revived his entire career. Who knows how much longer he's gonna play for? He, I mean, he has no reason to. He's showing no signs of slowing down, and a lot of the times, the thing that that ends the career of esports pros when they get older isn't their reflexes slowing down or anything. It's it's family commitments and stuff. Hiko's still single. <laughs> I mean, uh, Nitro's married, but he's not hes not showing any signs of slowing down either. And I think he's younger. I'm pretty sure he's younger. And like 100 Thieves has the perfect balance of the veteran leadership of Hiko, Nitro, and Steel. And the the young upstarts with huge potential in Asuna and Dicey. And like, I don't want to crap on TSM here, but they need to learn how to win their freaking pistol rounds <laughs> because look at the pistol round disparity between hundred thieves and TSM. It was seven to one in favor of hundred thieves. Don't ever tell me pistol rounds aren't important again. <laughs> pistol rounds are very important. 100 Thieves won 7 of 8. And guess what? They won the freaking tournament. Yeah, the only the only pistol round they lost was the first one of the entire set. That was it. They lost their attacking pistol round on split. Think about that. They lost their attacking pistol round on map 1. Whoops. <laughs> and then they didn't lose a pistol round again for the rest of the series. Just think about that. Those things are important. And, and, uh, it was either Zachary or I think it was Zachary, uh, tweeted out because one of the guys, I, I want to say it was Hayes. Hayes tweeted out the, the pistol round disparity between the two teams and said like, once we learn how to win pistol rounds, it's over for you. And, uh, Zachary replied, it's like, you guys are buying too many frenzies. You have to, you, you have to, uh, 
pray to the gods of the classic and the ghost, which is true. Like the frenzy is a good gun, but you shouldn't have more than one or two in your pistol round. Like you should be relying more on the ghost and the classic. And if you want to get real spicy and just go glass cannon, the sheriff, because the sheriff's a big risk. Cause you start with 800 credits and that's how much the sheriff costs. So the buying the sheriff in a pistol round is a big risk, but if it pays off, you are, uh, you are really on, you are really putting them, the other team on their back front economically, because if you have a sheriff, you can honestly save the next round and go into the first gun round with a whole lot of money. Like more oppers should do that. I think. Like, oppers should just buy sheriffs in, in pistol round, go glass cannon, and hope that if they're good at pistol rounds, if they're if they're good at using the sheriff, which most oppers are, buy the sheriff in the pistol round, hope you do something good, hope you go off with that, save in the second round, if you win, obviously, save in the second round, and go into the first drill gun round with an op, a bunch of your abilities and armor. That would be awesome. <laughs> It'd be terrifying for the other team. And they'd have to like, they'd have to like try and hunt you down in the second round. So you, you end up losing your sheriff and you have to, and you're a little behind in, in the economy and you have to buy a, uh, a phantom or a vandal like everyone else in round three. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed this entire tournament. It was so good. Props to Riot for putting on a, an awesome event. And Europe, we're coming for you. Like Europe, we are we are coming for you because really if you look NA NA is the deepest in the world in terms of talent in this game. Because Europe's a little Europe's getting there. But if you really look at North America, the top four at first strike, NVTSM, 100 Thief Sentinels, those are the four best teams in the region, definitively. Like, power rankings, tournament results, they're the four best teams in the region. And right now, because they beat everyone necessary, 100 Thieves is the best team in North America. Never thought I'd say, I didn't think I'd say that a couple months ago before they made the roster changes, but 100 Thieves is the best team in North America. I'd say TSM's probably second, Sentinels are third, Envy's fourth. T1 and FaZe Clan are really good, and they are getting better. T1 is getting their crap back together after a rough start, because sure, they got 2 owed by 100 Thieves, but every both maps were 13-10. Both maps were really close. Sentinels, 2 owed FaZe Clan, but look closer. It was 13-8 and then 13-5 on split. So, eh, phase isn't exactly all that good on split. That's that's kind of that's kind of fair. Phase isn't great on split. So that was uh that was not the best map draw for them. But phase is improving. And then you have Cloud9. If if Tens goes off, they can win anything. I still think they're a little overly reliant on him, but he's really good. 
he was I th- I'm pretty sure he was the first player to hit radiant in North America. Like I do think Cloud9 relies on him a little too much and they need to like Mitch Shinobi Relics the other guys they need to step it up a little bit to make Cloud9 viable. But think about that. That's seven. That's seven teams that are really good coming out of North America. Not to mention Moon Raccoons, who are probably going to get signed sooner rather than later. NRG is still figuring things out. NRG is a good org, so I trust them to figure things out. Like, NRG isn't there yet. They're they're not in this conversation yet, but I think they can get there because they have talent. But if you take the top four and then throw in T1 Phase and Cloud9 Blue, that's seven really good teams that represent North America. Do we have that kind of talent depth in any other esport? I don't think so. Because, honestly, look at Overwatch League. Most of the teams are based in North America, but a lot of those players are from Europe, they're from Korea, they're from China, even on teams based in NA. That's where most of the talent in Overwatch comes from. Call of Duty, Call of Duty is its own thing. It is a very, one, because it's primarily played on console. It is a very North America first game. But we don't have this kind of talent depth in Counter-Strike. We definitely don't have this kind of talent depth in League. Like, there are what, maybe three good teams in North America right now? Four, if you really push it. There's, like, if you want to count, if you want to count MKLeo as as North American, because Mexico is technically in North America, but most of the time when you say NA, you're referring to the U.S. and Canada. Which is a little strange, but that also kind of makes sense, because U.S. and Canada both speak English. Mexican people in Mexico speak English too, but it is not their first language. They speak Spanish. So like there's not a whole and fighting games are different too, because they're more about the individual. And a lot of times that comes down to country rather than region. Like Korea and Japan, when it comes to fighting games are separate. The U S and Mexico, I would say the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, I would say probably the same thing when it comes to fighting games. So, like, we don't have this kind of depth in any other game. Like, Valorant could very well end up being a North America-dominated esport, which I'm all for because we ain't doing that in League of Legends anytime soon. We're not really doing it in Overwatch. We're doing it in COD, but COD doesn't count. We're doing it in Fortnite, but same thing, honestly. Like, Fortnite is much more American-centric because a lot more American kids would rather play that or, or Call of Duty. Like, they're not they're not going to League. But it seems like we have a good crop of talent in North American Valorant. But I am... I am so ready. I've said it a million times on this show. I am so ready for international lands. Like, I am so ready for international lands. I think 
maybe if we're lucky, the March Masters events will happen on LAN, but they'll be regional. Same thing with the challengers that feed into them. I think they will, they could maybe be lands. Like the March, April ones could possibly swing that. They could, they could possibly be regional lands. I'm looking at June as like, okay, June Valorant Masters is what I have my eyes set on as like, this is going to be the first international major in Valorant. And I don't know what the scene's going to look like then. That's going to be about a year after the game's release. I don't know how much, or a little over a year because the game came out in May. It's going to be a little over a year after the game's release. So I'm wondering what the meta is going to look like then. I'm wondering what the scene itself is going to look like then. How many agents are we going to have by then? Because it seems like they are not doing the League of Legends thing where they're rela- releasing a new agent every six weeks. Because <laughs> that's a uh, that that seems like a very League of Legends thing to do. Hopefully, they Riot does not do that with Valorant. Hopefully, it's more like every three months, <laughs> twice twice the amount of time that it takes for a uh, a League of Legends champion to come out. Rather than every six weeks, it's it's every three months. That that seems like that seems like a, a fair number. So by that math, by then, every three months in June, we'd have two more agents. You'd have two, three more agents by then. So that that's honestly not bad. But I am uh, I am very excited to see where this game goes once international lands can happen. Like. Cause can you imagine Hundred Thieves versus TSM in front of a crowd? Good God, that would be absolutely insane. Heck, like I know we want Hundred Thieves, or I know we everyone wants TSM versus Sentinels, but TSM needs to get their crap together because they didn't look all that great against Hundred Thieves. I think they got cocky, and Wardell was whiffing on his ult like crazy. Like, Drone had an awesome series. Drone had an incredible series. But Wardell was a little off. Uh, Cutler was very much not Clutchler, like, at all. He he was not clutching rounds. Like, like Hiko was clutching rounds. Cutler was not. Like, oh man, on uh, on Haven. That Hunter's Fury Hiko hit on Haven when, when TSM was defusing. Good God. That man is scary when he gets his ult. Like, they need to rename that thing Hiko's Fury because he's one of the best in the world at hitting that thing. Him and Sinatra are both really good at it. They just use it very differently. Which, given their game backgrounds, is not a surprise. Like, Sinatra, not surprisingly, uses it more like Dragon Strike. <laughs> because the similarities between Sova and Hanzo are pretty obvious. But they, they need to rename that thing Hiko's Fury because, like, the way he uses it is just disgusting. But I am I am so ready for international lands. Like, I want to see 100 Thieves versus G2. I want to see 100 Thieves versus Heretics. I want to see TSM versus G2. Uh, Suman FC, FPX. Heck, Orglis, Purple Cobras. Like, these guys... These guys are all... 
really good. And looking at these, uh, looking at these rosters, it's very interesting because the the country differences are very strange. <laughs> looking on uh, on European rosters compared to North American rosters, like Korea, Korea is super top heavy. Like Korea has one good team, Vision Strikers. <laughs> Korea has one truly good team. Vision Strikers are just better than everyone else. <laughs> and I'm not even that plugged into the Korean scene, and I know that. Vision Strikers are just better than literally everyone else. I mean, Brazil, I'm I'm curious what they're going to do because they're really good at CS, so I can only imagine how what they're going to be in Valorant because they they seem to love Valorant down there already. So I'm I'm wondering what uh what Brazil's going to be. Latin America, they're always they're always decent. A, uh, APAC is usually okay. I'm I'm really hyped for what international Valorant is is going to be. And like I said, these are my more optimistic predictions. But I'm looking at at the March events to possibly be to still be regional because obviously all the challenges are going to be regional, but. I'm thinking maybe Challengers will be LAN and maybe the Masters will be LAN, but possibly still region locked. Like you'll still have NA, you'll still have, you'll still have EU, you'll still have Japan, you'll still have Korea. Maybe some of those Asian ones could be international, maybe North America and Europe. Like it, it might not be, if we're really lucky, they could, there could be like four of them. Rather than, rather than like, how many, how many first strikes were there? 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. There were 11. So instead of maybe 11, you combine, you combine North America, you combine maybe North America, Brazil, and Latin America, you combine Europe, Russia, and Turkey. And you com- you combine Korea, Japan, and you combine uh, Australia with APAC. I-, I think I think that would work. And who's who's MENA? Where is that? Oh, this one. Oh, this oh Middle East and North Africa. Okay, uh, throw that one in on Europe, Russia, and Turkey. So you'd have North America, Brazil, and Latin America in one. The Europe super region in another. Uh, Korea, Japan, and Oceania, APAC. Like, I think you might be able to make that one work. Cut it down from 11 to 4. Instead of having one, like, major international Masters event with every region, you have four with three, uh, two to four regions each that are, that are close to each other geographically. Like, I think that could work if we're lucky. But I'm I'm thinking June is going to be the first like big blowout, so so keep your eyes on that one. But that's what I got for a very long-winded Valorant segment. Up next, we'll uh, get into some college basketball this season. I really hope we don't get robbed of March Madness again this year. I don't think we will, but March Madness is going to be nuts. We'll get into that up next here on the mashup. <laughs> All right, let's get into some college basketball. And I was very disappointed this weekend because I woke up Saturday morning thinking, oh, well, I'm going to get 
I'm going to get a really good college basketball game in the afternoon. And then I'm going to get first strike later in the day. Well, that didn't happen. I got first strike. First strike was awesome. I just spent 35 minutes talking about how great it was. What happened was I wake up and I see a tweet from John Rothstein saying, oh, two members of the Gonzaga travel party, uh, including a player, tested positive and the game with Baylor was off. <sighs> thanks, Rona. Thanks. Thanks for that, Rona. That was uh, that's that's awesome. That's so great. I was really looking forward to that game, too. Now, like I said earlier, both coaches and both teams want to make that game happen at some point this season. Honestly, I think they should try for December 26th because that would make that would be an awesome late 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 Christmas gift to college basketball fans around the country. Because we're going to get some good games on Christmas. Like, are there? I feel like any good college basketball games on Christmas might get overshadowed by the insane NBA slate on Christmas. But let's see. I don't want a sun. Top 25. Friday, December 25th. Oh, good Lord. Michigan State, Wisconsin. <laughs> Michigan State, Wisconsin and Iowa, Minnesota. They're both in the Big Ten, but who cares? That's two really good games. Any any other good games across Division One that day? Uh, let's see. Scroll, scroll. That's too far. Uh, Friday, December twenty fifth. Oh, it's all Big Ten: Maryland, Purdue, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Michigan, Nebraska, and Iowa, Minnesota. And as good as the Big Ten is in basketball this year, that's a good slate of games. That's a really good slate of games. And I think, I think the, uh, the Big Ten ACC challenge is like this week. Uh, I'll just click ACC. Oh, the Big Ten ACC challenge is tonight and tomorrow. <laughs> All right. So, uh, good Lord. There's, well, Tuesday, Wednesday. So, uh, those are some good games. Michigan State, Virginia is Wednesday night. Good Lord. That's going to be a good one. Florida State, Indiana should be good. Uh, Pitt Northwestern should be okay. Maryland Clemson is going to be really good. That's a litmus test for both teams. North Carolina, Iowa, o Ohio State, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Penn State, Illinois Duke. Illinois Duke's going to be really good. I that that game is still in a couple hours for me as I'm recording this, but I'm actually going to give the edge to Illinois in that one just because I think the Big 10 is legitimately much better than the ACC this year. So, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking the Big Ten is is winning the Big Ten ACC challenge this year. As of right now, Purdue is up eleven to one on Miami at the six at the under sixteen timeout. So uh, off to a good start for the Big Ten. But I, I'm glad the Big Ten ACC challenge could continue this year because that's a really fun two days of of college basketball. Because it's generally two of the best conferences in the country every year. <laughs> 
like very rarely is the Big Ten really bad or the ACC really bad. Like last year, the ACC wasn't amazing because because UNC had a very down year, and the Big Ten was the Big Ten was pretty freaking good last year. This year, I think the Big Ten is still better than the ACC, but the ACC has swung back up in the correct direction. I mentioned UNC and their and their historically bad year last year. This year, that team is Kentucky because my God, they have now lost to. Let's just uh, let's just pull up the SEC and see who see the rundown of the teams Kentucky has lost to. They have now lost to Georgia Tech. By 17. They also lost to Kentucky. Or, they didn't lose to themselves. I mean, they kind of did lose to themselves against Kansas. But, they lost to Kansas. They've lost to Georgia Tech. And, they lost to Richmond. Hmm. They lost to Richmond by 12. They lost to Georgia Tech by 17. You want to explain that one there, Kentucky? You uh you you care to explain? Because honestly, right now, you're one and three. And your only win came against Moorhead State, who uh kind of suck. You're one and three at the moment. And as from where I'm sitting. Until further notice, you should be known as University of Kentucky Lexington because if you're going to play like a mid-major, we're going to treat you like a mid-major. You are now University of Kentucky Lexington. Just like UNC was University of North Carolina was North Carolina Chapel Hill last year. You don't get to be universe, just University of Kentucky when you play like that. Now, anyone who knows me and my college basketball fandom knows my opinion of the University of Kentucky. I absolutely hate them and their used car salesman of a head coach. But this is just sad. Like 2013 was their worst year in recent memory. Right? 2012-13 was their worst year in recent memory. They were pretty good. They weren't great. They weren't as good as they were in in 2011-12 because national champions and Anthony Davis and all that. But that was probably their worst year in recent memory. They missed the tournament by a country mile. like, And John Calipari got caught like complaining about the SEC tournament, despite the fact that uh, the only way his team was going to get into the SEC tournament was, or into the NCAA tournament, was winning the SEC, which, again, they did not do. And one of the most hilarious things to ever happen to a sports villain Because a lot of times in sports, the villains win. That's why they're villains. The Patriots, the Yankees. Well, not not so much the Yankees anymore. They kind of suck now. But the Patriots. The Red Sox. I'm sensing a theme here. The Bruins, the Celtics, the Penguins, the Steelers. A lot of times in sports, the villains win. That's the reason they're villains. But this... This is one of the greatest things to ever happen to a sports villain ever. They had one of their worst seasons in recent memory. They missed the tournament and had to play in the NIT 
And not only did they have to play in the NIT, the big thing with the NIT is it's played on home courts until the semifinals at Madison Square Garden. Only problem was Rupp Arena was hosting the NCAA tournament. So they couldn't play at home. They had to go on the road and play eight seed Robert freaking Morris. <laughs> a tiny school that I think was built as a school for accountants just outside of Pittsburgh. ESPN did a story on this and did a story on uh, Robert Morris's arena because they wanted people to watch the NIT because who cares about the NIT? Like, even if your team makes it, do you really care about the NIT? Probably not. Because a lot of times, it's just seen as a consolation prize. Like, if you were a big-time school, if you were a Kentucky, if you were Maryland made it that year too, like, if you were a Kentucky, if you were a Maryland, if you're a... If you're a Virginia, if you're a Villanova, you don't want to play in the NIT. It is a consolation prize. If you're a mid-major who finished first in your conference regular season standings and got really unlucky in the conference tournament, you're still kind of disappointed that you got unlucky in the conference tournament, but hey, you get to go play in the NIT and maybe you shock the world like Robert Morris did in 2013. Like I still remember Sports Center doing a report from Robert Morris's basketball arena. The worst seat in the house was 25 rows off the floor and cost 20 bucks. In comparison to how expensive a seat 25 rows off the floor would be at Rupp Arena. Rupp Arena is massive. You know how expensive a seat 25 rows off the floor would be? That would probably cost like three grand for one ticket. Maybe more. And it was like, it was a... It wasn't like an obstructed view or anything at, at Robert Morris's venue. Like, you could see the court very clearly. And Kentucky just came out super flat. Robert Morris beat the reigning national champions in the first round of the NIT. And of course, they stormed the freaking court. Because why wouldn't you? What other chance are you going to get to play the reigning, if you're Robert Morris, what other chance are you going to have to play the reigning national champions in your building and more and more importantly, beat them in your building? Storm the freaking court, kids. Let's have some fun. <laughs> like, duh. That was, I, I was laughing for a week straight about that. I was I was seriously laughing for a week straight about that because it was so funny. I kind of want that to happen again. I kind of want I kind of want Kentucky to turn it around a little bit, have just enough of a good season to make the NIT and then lose to some like unknown school in the first round. Lose to like, I don't know. Lose to like Belmarine. Just moved up to D1 this year, just joined the Atlantic Sun. They're not picked to do a whole lot in that league this year. They were really good in D2 last year. They were undefeated. They were one of the last two. They were one of the last few uh, undefeated teams in D2. But, like, like they lose to a Belmarine or something. 
And I'd, I'd be pulling for the Knights in that one. I know they're conference rivals of my team, but I'd be pulling for the Knights. Uh, that would be hilarious. If, like, part of me wants them to have an absolutely awful season. But part of me wants to have the wants them to have just an okay season that they make the NIT and lose to someone no only like the diehard college basketball fans have ever heard of. Like really diehard fans know they're a good team and you need to be scared of them, but the casual audience would just have no clue. You you it wouldn't be another UMBC moment, but it would be it would be very similar. Like we're never gonna get another UMBC again. We we really aren't. Heck. I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay. I, I would actually love that. UMBC finished first, finishes first in the America East, which is a very real possibility with given how they're playing right now. UMBC finishes first in the in the America East. They don't win the turn. They don't win the the conference championship though. They go into the NIT as, as like a six seed, and they they'd have to play at Rub. Like they wouldn't play. They wouldn't play at UMBC. They'd probably have to play it at Rub. But they go to they go to Rupp to play this thing and and UMBC does it again and beats Kentucky. Like that would be that would be honestly even funnier than them beating Virginia because I see Virginia as one of the good guys of college basketball. <laughs> like Virginia, Nova, they're they're two of the big ones. For, uh, well, Virginia, Nova, Auburn to an extent. Michigan State's okay. Actually, Tom Izzo seems like a really likable guy. Michigan State's okay. I I don't necessarily like them personally, but they aren't they aren't really villains. Uh, Gonzaga, Baylor's working their way up there. Like th- those are the good guys of college basketball. And then your villains: you have Kentucky, you have Duke, you have UNC, you have. Uh, th- those are the those are the three big ones: Kentucky, Duke, and UNC. Like those are the three big villains of college basketball. But it's, uh, this is going to be a fun season. I am, and one of the, one of the very under, under the radar games this weekend was Nova and Texas. Like that was a very under the radar game and it came down to the wire. Like Nova pulled out the win, but they had to fight. And that's not something I really expected to see was Nova having to fight to beat Texas. I figured they would be a lot better than them. And they were the better team, but but Texas gave them a run for their money. Like Texas's defense is stifling. And Shaka Smart and Jay Wright, that's a battle of two great coaches I have a lot of respect for. Like that's a battle of two great coaches I have a crap ton of respect for. But I'm, I, like, I already had my eye on Texas. I really have my eye on Texas now. Like, good lord. I really have my eyes on Texas now. <laughs> because if you push Nova to that kind of limit, and Nova still proves they're, you know, Nova. I don't know if they're necessarily the, the team from 2018, or even the team from 2016. Because I don't know if they have... Orion Archidiacono. I don't know if they have a, a Chris Jenkins, a Dante DiVincenzo. Like, I don't know if they have a guy like that, but Jay Wright pushes teamwork and ball movement so hard. Like, you can never count those guys out. 
And and that, that that's that's the thing. That's an interesting clash of styles right there. Because Villanova, while they have a good defense, they are more about their offense. Like they are more about the movement of their offense. The ball movement, the team and the teamwork. Like that's that's very much Jay Wright's MO. And and Texas under Shaka Smart has finally gotten it together and they're a defense first team. Their offense is good, but they are they are very much a defensive team. And that that game led to a, a really interesting clash of styles. And I'm I'm hoping we get more of that this year. Like like ball movement offensive teams against really strong defensive teams and see who comes out on top. Because that's that's kind of to, to borrow a gaming term here, that's kind of the meta in college basketball right now is you pick one. Like you have UVA who's just like pack line. Like we are defense. Like you're not gonna score. We're only gonna score fifty five points, but we're still gonna beat you by twenty because we're gonna hold you to thirty five. Like that's UVA. Villanova is we're gonna keep your scoring to as much of a minimum as we can, but our goal is to just completely break your defense down and outscore you. Like that's. Like I'm looking forward to that game uh, on the uh, on the 19th. Oh my god, that game's next week. Yes, that game is next Saturday. Oh, I hope that game doesn't get screwed over because that's going to be fun. I'm I'm very much looking forward to uh, Nova versus UVA because UVA is not having a great season by their standards, but like outside of Richie McKay, Jay Jay Wright. Outside of Richie McKay, Tony Bennett is like one of my favorite coaches in in all of sports. Like he's not even the coach of my team, and he's up there in the ranks of like my team's coaches. Like up there in the ranks of like Richie McKay, John Harbaugh, Elaine Vino. Like that is high praise for a guy who coaches a team I'm not even a fan of. But oh man, I'm looking forward to that game. And there, there's some other good games this week. Like the, the Big Ten ACC Challenge over the next two days. Uh, what else we got? Uh, let's see. Thursday. Yeah, not amazing. What about Friday? Villanova-Georgetown should be fun. Georgetown's not that good, but it's a, it's a rivalry. Same with Iowa-Iowa State. Saturday. Cincinnati-Tennessee could be fun. Uh, Illinois, Mizzou, that could be a good one because Mizzou's still undefeated. Anything great on Sunday? Oakland, Michigan State, eh, Oakland's 0-6. Richmond, West Virginia. That's a, that's not even a sneaky good game. Richmond's number 19. And Texas versus Baylor is Sunday. Oh, heck yes. Oh, that's going to be a good one. Texas versus Baylor on Sunday at 3. Keep an eye on that one. I think Baylor's going to win, but... Let's be honest here. That's going to be fun. And Rutgers versus Maryland is next Monday. That's going to be a really good one, too. So that that's the next week worth of games. And even Tuesday, Clemson, Virginia Tech. Minnesota, Illinois. App State, Tennessee. Good God, that'll be Tennessee's first game. That's a, that's a rough challenge. Georgia Tech just beat Kentucky. They got number 20 Florida State next week. That's... That's going to be one to keep an eye on. If the, if they just beat the last number 20, what are they going to do to the current number 20? So an enjoyable slate of uh, of college basketball over the next week. So uh, buckle up and enjoy it, everyone. I'm th- 
I've said it a couple times. This season's going to be a roller coaster. Like college basketball has gotten really good in the last couple years. And I feel like the basketball gods are going to uh, apologize to us many, many times over the course of this season. And I, I'm still hoping for a crowd of some kind in the bubble in Indy. Like it may not be full, but I'm, I'm hopeful for some kind of a crowd in the bubble in Indy. And if it's, it's even close to full for the national championship game. When, when those flashbulbs go off at the opening tip, like actual tears, like I almost, I, I got straight up chills and a little choked up watching a video of, uh, the first time a crowd was at Anfield in months singing, you'll never walk alone. Like, oh my God. Like one shining moment, no matter what is going to just kill me this coming year. Like one shining moment's just going to destroy me no matter what. But if there's a crowd, oh God. <laughs> but that's what I got for uh, college basketball. Up next, we'll uh, get into the continually weird NFL. I don't know what the heck happened this weekend, but we'll talk it all. We'll, uh, we'll break it all down. That's up next here on the mashup. Oh my God. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? Oh my God. Yeah. Worst undefeated team in NFL history. Yes. My team is 0-2 against them. I don't freaking care because the first game, let's see. Um, multiple players got injured. Our defense line was injured to hell and the refs helped them there repeatedly. Some of the worst calls I have ever fucking seen. The second game, they needed the ref's help to beat Trace McSorley. So again, I don't feel bad for you that you lost to Washington and cry about the refs all you want. You got so many garbage spots in that game. It's not even funny. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, the worst undefeated team in NFL history loses... To one of the worst teams in the worst division in NFL history. It is so perfectly 2020. The worst undefeated team in NFL history loses to a team without a name. Led by a quarterback who a couple years ago almost lost his leg. Yeah, remember that? Alex Smith almost had to have his leg amputated. Remember that? Yeah, that's the guy that beat you. So Chase Claypool and your stupid tweet about losing, don't know her. Uh, yeah, you can go back to being New Hines Ward. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, I don't know what the hell happened to you, but you turned into Antonio Brown all of a sudden. Uh, go back to making TikToks. Um, and can we all stop pretending you guys are better than the Chiefs? Because you are 100% not better than the Chiefs. Oh, I hope you have to play the Ravens in the first wildcard game. Oh, I hope the Ravens make the playoffs and you have to play the Ravens in the first wildcard game. Be- because guess what? You're probably losing. Because it's really hard to beat a team three times in the same year. Especially your division rival. It's really, 
And you know what? I'll take the two regular season losses if I can knock you out of the playoffs. If the Ravens can knock you clean out of the playoffs and uh, maybe make the old fat one realize his career is over. So I don't have to look at his ugly face multiple times a season anymore. Oh, it would be glorious. And I I think... uh, I think my chances of getting a job in, in Pittsburgh sports media have been flushed so many times they have reached the Atlantic Ocean. But who cares? <laughs> Thank you, Washington. All of Baltimore owes you. You're still our little brother, but thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> uh, and according to uh, what a lot of the guys said, our defense, ex- the Ravens defense exposed all of the Steelers weaknesses last week. So uh, thank you. And also you're welcome. <laughs> and oh my God. Th- thank you so much, Washington football team. You're not going to make the playoffs this year. It's probably going to be the Giants who end up winning that division because they're on the hot streak of all hot streaks. They started 0-5 in their last seven. They're 5-2. So they got right back to 500. Didn't expect them to see... Didn't expect them to get anywhere close to that this season, but here we are. And I I think they're going to win that god-awful division because... Now uh, the Eagles are no longer running with Carson Wentz as their quarterback. They're uh, switching it over to Jalen Hurts. I don't know how much that's going to do because uh, the defense is still falling apart. The O-line still sucks. Uh, Doug Peterson still can't call plays to save his life. And the front office is completely incompetent and the ownership is enabling them. So, uh, I saw someone on Twitter say putting Jalen Hurts in a quarterback is like putting duct tape on a dam that's already, that's already burst and allowed the town to get flooded. And honestly, they're not wrong. Honestly, they are very much not wrong. Like, congratulations, Flyers. You have made some mistakes, but by default, you are the best run team in Philadelphia right now. Because... The Phillies are an absolute disaster. The Eagles are falling apart. Who knows what the hell the Sixers are doing. The Flyers are the best run team in Philadelphia by default. And they still choked in the second round of the playoffs last year. (laughs) So they still absolutely choked against an inferior team in the second round of the playoffs. So um, that's the state of Philly sports for you. I mean, the Flyers did make a good move today. They they re-signed Felipe Myers on a very team-friendly contract. And I'm glad he's coming back because he's awesome. I love Felipe Myers. He's got a lot of potential. That team has such a good young core. Like, combine that young, cl- young core with Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier. Like, good lord. And one day, when, uh, when the Flyers end up gafting, drafting uh, Gavin Giroux, it will all come full circle. Good lord, if the Flyers end up drafting Gavin Giroux, because let's be honest, that kid is going to be a hockey player. If the Flyers end up drafting uh, Prince Gavin, that the the Philly media will go absolutely insane. But I I don't know what this whole uh, Jalen Hurts switch is really going to do for the Eagles because changing quarterbacks isn't going to isn't going to change the fact. 
that the receivers can't catch balls that hit them square in the hands. It's not going to change the fact that the O-line is made of wet tissue paper. It's not going to change the the fact that the defense is basically non-existent. It's not going to change the front office. It's not going to change Doug Peterson. It's not going to change anything. Like, it's not going to change a thing. Like, you'll have a different quarterback who can scramble a little bit better because, again, your O-line is made of wet tissue paper. But I don't know how much this is going to change. I think... I think this is still this is still very much a lost season for the Eagles. And I feel bad for Carson Wentz because before that injury, dude was looking to be like on the same level as like Patrick Mahomes or on a similar level to Patrick Mahomes. Like no one is as good as he is. He's Patrick Mahomes is like the best NFL player ever. He he's on track to be. Like Patrick Mahomes is a once in a generation talent. And so Carson Wentz wouldn't be that good, but he would, he was looking to be in the conversation for MVP every year. Like if he didn't get injured, they still would have won the Super Bowl that year. Like they were on a mission. If Wentz didn't get injured, they still would have won a Super Bowl. They probably would have won it even more convincingly, honestly. Like if Wentz doesn't get injured and he keeps playing at that level, they still win. Because it was not only the Eagles being good. And Frank Reich being a total quarterback whisperer. It was also the Patriots' mistakes that cost them that game. And I'm honestly convinced that uh, Frank Reich is the one who came up with the Philly special, not Doug Peterson. (laughs) But, yeah, I uh, I think the Eagles made a big mistake not keeping him around and promoting him to head coach when they realized Doug Peterson might not be the guy. Because as soon as he left the Eagles and, and took the, the Colts job, the Eagles fell apart. And now the Colts are really good. And once the Colts get a quarterback, look out. Because they're going to be really freaking good. But I don't know what the I don't know what the Eagles really think this is going to do for them. Like their their season's sunk. Like their season's over. They're not going to win literally the worst division in NFL history. So they're not going to the playoffs. Even if they did, they would lose in the first round to like the Rams or the Seahawks. Whoever wins the NFC East is losing in the first round to the Rams or the Seahawks. <laughs> Which is going to be hilarious. And speaking of the Rams, like, can we talk about the fact that uh, last year was the fluke for Sean McVay, not two years ago when they made the Super Bowl? Dude is a really good coach. Now, other teams ripping off the Sean McVay thing and hiring just really young coaches with no NFL experience, that's a bad idea. Because it hasn't entirely worked out. I mean, it's it's clearly working out for... Uh, it's clearly somehow working out for the Cardinals, but that's also the fact that they got Kyler Murray a weapon like DeAndre Hopkins. And when you have a freakishly talented quarterback and a freakishly talented wide receiver... In Cliff Kingsbury's offense, you're probably going to win a lot of games because you're just going to go full Big 12 on them. It's like, it doesn't matter if our, our defense gives up 35 points. We're going to score 50 because we can just do that because we have a really talented quarterback and one of the best receivers on planet Earth. But the other one, what were the Jets thinking? 
Like they they almost jetted their own chances to get Trevor Lawrence, and then they blew the game in the most Jets way I have ever seen. You had the Raiders at midfield, third and ten. So they had done nothing uh, on that set of downs. Obviously, they were at midfield. But it was third and ten. They were stalled at midfield. You were going to win. And then you run a cover zero blitz on third down. Like, I get it. You want to be aggressive. You can be aggressive on third down, especially third and long situations. But third and long is a passing down. Why... On earth, would you run a cover zero blitz? Because that left Henry freaking Ruggs wide open. And Derek Carr, Derek, Derek Carr, God, my, my tongue is betraying me today. Derek Carr may have lost a step since his best years, but he's still got a cannon for an arm. And Henry Ruggs is a very talented receiver. Dude was wide open. It was pretty easy for him to catch that and touchdown game over Raiders win. And Jets, congratulations. You still have your chances at 0-16 and Trevor Lawrence. But honestly, I think you're going to ruin Trevor Lawrence. (laughs) I've said it before. I'll say it again. If I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm staying at Clemson. Because you got robbed of a year at one of the best college football environments in the world. Like, you still got to play there, but you got robbed of that crowd that treats you like their king. Possibly more like a god. So, why would you give up another year of that to go play for the New York Jets? Like, Clemson fans who made the trip to Notre Dame doing the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets chant at Trevor Lawrence when he came out of the tunnel may have been the most the most convincing argument for staying at Clemson he has ever heard. Because if you don't think he's getting money at Clemson, you're fooling yourself. Like, if you don't think he's fine, like, did you see that ring he proposed with? That thing was massive. He's fine. If I were him, I'd stay at Clemson another year. Get that crowd that worships you like a god back for another year. And then maybe maybe a good team, a, a better run team tanks for you next year. So you don't have to go to the freaking Jets. Or the Jets somehow jet themselves and end up having just a good enough record to not get you. And you go to a team that's slightly more competent. I don't know. I'd be weighing the options if I was if I was in his shoes. But they're not even trying to hide the fact that they're tanking anymore. A cover zero blitz on third and ten at midfield with with Henry Ruggs. Like you can run a cover zero blitz further back, maybe, or when you're closer to the goal line. Because they don't have as as much room to work with. But why were you running that at midfield? That is a terrible call. <coughs> uh, excuse me. I, I don't get that one. The Jets aren't even trying to hide it anymore. 
Like, that was blatant tanking. But uh, that's what I've got for the weirdness that was this weekend in the NFL. Up next, we'll uh, get into some NBA talk because there's a story and a half there. We'll get into that up next here on The Mashup. So this last segment, I'm actually going to hit three things because I have NBA, some COD stuff, and NHL. And it's all one story each, so they don't really warrant getting their own segment. So NBA first. What a shock. James Harden doesn't like it in Houston. Now, he straight up called them the Knicks of the South, which is honestly like one of the most scathing insults of a team I've ever heard. Is Comparing anyone to the Knicks is, is a horrible, horrible thing. Like That's one of the most scathing insults I've literally ever heard. But he seemingly went out of Houston. It seems like he was holding out for a while, but he showed up for practice and went through all the, the testing protocols and everything. So he's back in Houston. He got tested. Like, so it seems like he's going ahead with playing in Houston now. But he wants to come to Philly. And please, for the love of God, no. No, 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 no. Yet, nine, no, no. Um, I, I don't know the word no in any other language. Uh, but no, in or no, 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 yet, nine, like, no, <laughs> no, 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 and no. I don't want him in Philly, especially because of the pieces that it will be necessary to get rid of for him. No, 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 and no. Let him go to the Nets and ruin their team chemistry that I'm guessing is already not great. (laughs) Because Kyrie and KD. Throw Harden into that mix because they're even dumber. (laughs) Please, for the love of God, Sixers, don't make me hate you and make that trade. Like, good Lord, there is no reason... To bring James Harden to the Philadelphia 76ers. There is zero reason for that. The last guy who should have ever played in Philadelphia that is even kind of comparable to James Harden. Uh, let's see. Retired six years ago? Four years ago. Wasn't that long. Retired four years ago and is now dead. That's it. That was Kobe Bryant. <laughs> that is the that is the only guy who is even who James Harden who is even remotely comparable to James Harden because a I'd much rather have any era Kobe on my team than prime James Harden because any era Kobe, despite the fact that he is slightly on the selfish side, any era Kobe is still a better leader than James Harden. And any era Kobe would fit this Sixers roster a lot better. That is the last guy. There, there is no one in the NBA remotely comparable to James Harden right now that should ever play in Philadelphia. At least with skill set, play style, and personality. Now, Kobe did not fit the personality bill. His skill set was more rounded and his play style was more varied. But 
James Harden is the the closest comparison, and I realize how much of an insult that is to Kobe Bryant. It is it, the gap between them is vast, but he is the closest play style to James Harden I think would fit on this current Sixers roster. I'm glad they didn't do the dumb and trade for Russell Westbrook either. The Wizards took care of that. But for the love of God, do not bring James Harden to Philadelphia. He would hate it there. He would absolutely hate Philadelphia, for one. The fans probably wouldn't like him either because he would be a bit of a selfish stat sheet stuffer. I don't think he'd get along with Doc Rivers. And him and Embiid would clash so hard. They could maybe bond over their mutual hatred of Russell Westbrook, but I don't know. I uh, the, the Sixers do not need him. The, I feel like that's what they traded for Seth Curry for. Like, we don't need Harden. Let's get Curry. Because he is a better fit in literally every single way. I don't want Harden on the Philadelphia 76ers. Daryl, please don't. I know the reports have come out saying you don't want to trade Simmons and Embiid, and that is good. You shouldn't. Like, the only return you should get for Simmons and Embiid is first-round picks from bad teams. That is the only return you should get for Simmons and Embiid. And, like, maybe a couple depth pieces. Like, that is the return you should get, is depth pieces and first-round picks from bad teams. That's it. I don't want Harden. Like, for the love of God, I don't want Harden. I don't even want I don't even want Tobias Harris to go for him. I think we need to renegotiate Tobias Harris's contract, find a way to do that because his contract is ridiculous for what he is. And if you could find a way to unload that contract, great, but I don't think Harden is the return I want for him. Because Harden's just going to cause more problems than he fixes. I don't want him on the Philadelphia 76ers. Daryl, please don't do it. And for the love of God, Josh Harris, don't make him. Good Lord. Out of, out of all four teams I follow, that ownership is by far the worst. Is, is Josh Harris and uh, HBE. Like, HBSE, like, they're so bad. But that's, that's NBA. Like I said, rapid fire segment. Unfortunately, th- this news did break last week. I just couldn't fit it into the show. Cold War season one got delayed an extra week. It was supposed to come out on Thursday. It is now coming out next Wednesday. Next Wednesday? Yeah, it is now coming out next Wednesday the 16th. So that timing, a little suspicious. I know based on what is supposed to happen with this update, like a brand new Warzone map, updating Modern Warfare's leveling progression so it matches Cold Wars, like, and getting all of Cold Wars' weapons into Warzone, like, that's a big undertaking. And, like, matching the leveling progression, that, that too, like, that is a big undertaking, and I can understand why it maybe took longer than they expected, and also the changes to... Also, the changes to zombies, which I hope includes fixing the uh, you die, you lose all your salvage thing, because I hate that so much. Like, you're if you lose your salvage in later rounds, you're such a liability because it takes so long to get your armor back. 
And it takes so long to farm enough salvage to even get tier one armor. And the higher level armor is the more rare salvage drop. Like, that's so annoying. I hate that so much. A couple times, like, I've respawned with armor because I've died so many times. And, like, upgraded weapons. Well, one of the times I was playing, I died. Uh, I think my M16 was green when I died. When I respawned, it was blue. I had spent no salvage to upgrade it. I respawned with armor and a blue M16. <coughs> so, like, maybe don't respawn us with as much money and give us some salvage so we can actually get armor and survive a little bit. Just a thought. Just a thought, Treyarch. And they apologized. Like, there's going to be a double XP this weekend, and they did uh, release a couple bundles with a really cool skin for Park and a, and a halfway decent skin for Garcia. I don't really like Garcia's design, so I'm probably not going to play him. And even though it got delayed, I'm very excited for Season 1 because, one, new maps. And I know there's some hate for Raid out there. I think I didn't play that much of Black Ops 2, so I'm excited to see how Raid plays in Cold War. And Treyarch is doing the thing Infinity Ward never could. Giving us a cool Allegiance Operator that is part of... Or Allegiance, Warsaw Pact. A cool Warsaw Pact Operator that is part of the Battle Pass. Because all the good Allegiance Operators in Modern Warfare were part of the Battle Pass until Season 5... Weren't part of the Battle Pass until Season 5. That's a really long time. Like, Mace was cool. Rose was okay. Like, Lurch was the first time we got a good Allegiance Battle Pass Operator. And then you got Farah and Nikolai in Season 6, who were really good. But, like, you didn't get a good Battle Pass Operator until Season 5. And then you got a really good one in Season 6. Most of the Warsaw Pact Operators kind of suck. Like, the two Milsim Operators are not great. Portnova's okay. Beck is terrible. Uh, Garcia's awful. Uh, who else is there? Uh, Stone. I don't really like his design at all. Like, cause I'm just not into the whole balaclava look like at all. So I don't really like, I don't really like Stone's design. Like none of the, uh, none of the worst all packed operators have very good designs. Stitch on the other hand does stitch has a very cool design and i am very excited for him because i will finally have a cool operator to play on warsaw pact instead of just kind of settling for powers in port nova because let's be honest here they are the two best they are the two best operators on the uh on the warsaw pact side of things nato actually has a few good ones because you have adler you have woods and you have and you have Park. And Song is okay. Like, you, you got four really... And Hunter's pretty cool, too. Like, you got five good ones. On Warsaw Pact, you have, like, two total because Powers and Port Nova both count as half of a good operator. Allegiance had terrible operators in Modern Warfare. Thankfully, Treyarch is not repeating that mistake and having a bunch of bad operators on Warsaw Pact. Thank God. And just to uh, wrap up the show with some very good news, the NHL has been screwing around for weeks and trying to make the players give up even more for what is going to be, what is guaranteed to be a shortened season because 
If the season started on time, it would have started two months ago. So instead, they are targeting a new start date for January 13th. And that, even though it's not officially confirmed, I've heard it from a lot of trustworthy sources that that is the day that hockey is coming back. Well, you're going to get World Juniors, and that's going to be in the Alberta bubble. It's going to be in the uh, the Edmonton bubble, like uh, the end of the NHL playoffs was. Then immediately after that, we're going to get NHL preseason, and then a 56-game regular season, which is only a little bit shorter than the NBA's. The NBA season this year is 60 games. The NHL's is going to be 56. That's not bad. And that'll probably get them right back on track to start on time next year in 2021, which I am all for start in October because good God, it by October of 2021, we're going to need it. We're going to need all sports to start on time. We're going to need them all. But hockey is coming back. They have figured it out. And hopefully by the end of the season, we'll all be able to get back into the buildings. Because first Flyers game I go to, first Flyers game I watch that has a crowd, and first Flyers game I go to that has a crowd, I am going to be an absolute mess. And I really don't care, because I probably won't be alone. But that's what I got for this episode of The Mashup. Hope you all enjoyed. Hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. And I will talk... Oh. And uh, one more thing. I am still streaming on Twitch pretty much every day. It has been a lot of Cold War. I've pretty much abandoned the get to gold ranking in Overwatch by the end of the year because Cold War is just so much fun. I didn't realize I'd enjoy it this much. But I am probably going to be playing a whole lot of Cold War for the rest of the year. I may end up mixing it up after Christmas and play like some Cyberpunk, some Assassin's Creed. Uh, the new watchdogs. I- I'm gonna be playing. I might, and uh, if I can, if I can swing it, if I if I decide to get it for PS4, I might wait for PS5 on uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales. But if I can't hold out and decide, like, yeah, I'm playing Spider-Man, I'll I might stream that too. But uh, I'll leave a link for my Twitch stream in the show description. Come hang out and chat. It's a lot of fun. Watch me suck at zombies. In a couple weeks, watch me uh, play some very long single-player games. But, uh, yeah, come by and say hi if you enjoy the show. It's a lot more of the same content over on stream. But that's what I got for this episode of The Mashup. I'll talk to you guys on Friday. See you then.